Welcome to Remarkable Retail Podcast, Season 5, Episode 11, presented by Market Dial. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Steve Dennis. Well, Steve, I think you're back, at least for a minute or two, back home in Dallas. Uh, let's talk about your trip and your adventures and, and the, your conference in Latam. Who, what did you see? Who did you meet? What did you hear? Well, that's probably longer than uh, we have time to get into, but the headlines are, yes, I am back briefly before we're going to head out. Uh, we'll be together in Las Vegas for mm-hmm. grocery shop in a couple of days. Actually, That's by right. the time this comes out, we'll already be there. Uh, right. But yeah, I was in Buenos Aires for a few days, and then I went up to Sao Paulo for the LATAM Retail Show, where mm-hmm. I did the mm-hmm. conference kickoff keynote, mm. which was great. And, it's not a uh, stage, it was mammoth. It was a ma- yeah, like, yeah, like, you look uh, like a You look like a very small person on a very large stage. It, it was, I think, the by far, actually, the largest stage I've ever been on. I think there were a couple thousand people in the audience, maybe. <laughs> So uh, you could have yeah, it was, half of them on that stage, man. It was yeah, it was stage. a it was an intimate gathering, but <laughs> uh, and uh, you know I went with English instead of Portuguese. Yeah, which was easy for me since I know oh, about boy. two words of Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was really good, and uh, there were several really interesting speakers. Guy from who runs Amazon's uh, business development or AWS's business development uh, was on right after me, the president of Walmart Mexico, uh, just a whole host of, of different players, um, you know, mostly mostly Brazil-based, but but uh, definitely some folks from all over the world. So it was a, it was a good opportunity, and I, I ate my weight in steak. <laughs> so uh, I'll be uh, getting out on the, on the Katy Trail here in Dallas to try to work some of that off. Well, uh, great news to hear you're back home safe and sound. And also, as you said, we'll be seeing each other at Grocery Shop uh, just right around the corner. We'll be, uh, we'll be there on Monday through Thursday. We've got lots of great interviews, a couple of uh, bonus episodes, and we'll bring the insights home from, uh, from Las Vegas. Now, in this episode, very special, we have a very special episode. It's our first and who knows, maybe last uh, segment, Retail Fight Club, with our very good friend and repeat visitor to the podcast, Ethan Chernosky. Vice President of Marketing at Placer. Now, the two of you throw down all about Kohl's, largest department store in America. Give us, give uh, the listeners a bit of a hint about what's to come. I mean, I, I think I win quite <laughs> handily, I guess. I, mean, I don't want to, that's a bit of a spoiler. Don't bias but, anybody. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I think, you know, the idea of Retail Fight Club is, uh, I think it's just fun, you know, to have a little bit more active debate. And I know that Ethan has been a little bit more positive towards the resurrection of department stores more broadly broadly, and Kohl's in particular. So uh, I am very on brand and being more pessimistic and cynical about it. So uh, that's what we get into. Well, uh, we'll uh, look forward to that because it's, it's a pile of fun. So we'd love to hear back from all the folks if they, uh, if they like that format. And if so, we'll go out and, uh, and uh, do that again. Let's get into the news. Now, there's a lot happening, not unusual as we kind of wrap up the summer and people start you know, how are the numbers, what are they shaking out to be, and, and what's the forecast for the balance of the year? We got inflation numbers. So let's start with inflation numbers. So it uh, remains high, but uh, the good news is gas is coming down. And, and in my mind, gas is one of those things that really, you know, y- you can make choices in the different types of food. For example, you can get private label or, you know, a, you can economize a little bit on food, but, you know, gas is gas, right? So that coming down Maybe takes the edge off, but what are your insights around uh, the inflation rate? Well, you know, a little bit. If you back, I mean, I think you're right. You know, if you've got to get to work, and the only way of getting there is driving, or obviously a lot of transportation costs are based on on use of fuel. So some of those things are pretty hard to to radically shift uh, the demand equation. Uh, though you know, we're seeing demand come down, and that's driving 
prices down a fair amount. I think it's 13 weeks straight or something here in the U.S. anyway. Uh, but overall, inflation picture remains stubbornly high. And, uh, you know, I think that's that continues to be mm-hmm. cause for concern. Um, we also had in the U.S. the weekly jobless claims, which continue to be quite low. So part of what I think is really pushing the inflation up is that, you know, people are employed and they have money to spend, uh, but also the price of labor is being built into everybody's cost structure. So that's tending to put prices up as well. So there's a a super interesting, it's an interesting environment. There's a super interesting article in the wall street journal. Uh, I'll put a link that, that said, basically there's 500,000 people missing from the U S job force because of COVID. And some of that is, I mean, you know, what was it? 1.05 Americans die because of COVID. And then there's a bunch of people still have it and still get pulled out of the job force. So there's, you know, we don't talk about COVID very much anymore, but it's still a very present force, amongst other things. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, there's, uh, I think we touched on this a little bit a week or two ago, too. I mean, um, you know, immigration is down quite a lot. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of aging up. population. Yep, up. Yep. Yeah. So, there's, there's a lot of factors. So, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think the, the kind of labor supply issue of this is going to get a heck of a lot better anytime mm-hmm. soon. So, that's kind of our new normal, as much as I hate using that expression. But, uh, but we're seeing it, too. We had... Um, Every month, as we often just touch on, and I'll try to touch on quickly, we got the U.S. Census Bureau's report on monthly sales, and sales continue to be quite strong on a dollar basis. Mm. Of course, as we've touched on, and I'm sure we'll keep touching on for a while here, uh, there's a lot of inflation baked into those numbers. So where we see core retail up something like 8%, that's about where inflation is. Of course, it varies quite a lot by category. So you know we're seeing kind of more deflationary kind of pricing and things like electronics and appliances, mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. of clothing, whereas food and some other things are are up quite a bit. Yeah. And lots of orders being canceled, so the media says, and I hear anecdotally as well, lots of POs being canceled. It's like, we got lots of stuff, so that tends to, you know, this we're in this weird shoulder period of of adjustment po- quasi post COVID. As speaking of adjustment, FedEx uh, warned and and they they said, listen, we're headed into a global uh, a global recession there. They're shutting down plants and doing a whole bunch of things. Now, you know, FedEx has got uh, a new, you know, if you compare FedEx today to five years ago, they got a very new competitor, a very big competitor who's taken some share, whether they, uh, you know, whether they, it was profitable share or not is debatable. What do you, any, you put any stock in what FedEx has to say? Is that a canary in a coal mine? I, I think it is overall. We had some other, uh, like the World Bank, I think, predicted uh, we're going to be in recession globally uh, next year. So I think there's lots of signs of continuing slowdown. The Federal Reserve is clearly going to raise interest rates quite a lot. So I think there's plenty of lights that are flashing red. FedEx, you know, has got some self-inflicted wounds, I think, as well. So, uh, and as you say, more competitive pressures. So I, I wouldn't put it all on uh, the macroeconomic factors, but that that's certainly a big big contributor. And presumably they'd have a pretty good read on on what's going on across a lot of industries. We've uh, often spoke uh, about Gary Friedman, the uh, founder of uh, RH, and you know he's always going in a he seems to always be making big bets in a different direction and winning. Now he was in the news saying, listen, if you don't think we're in a recession, um, you know, where are you at? Uh, you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Did you did you see his comments? And and but at the same time, right in the middle of that, he's opened up a very swanky new, yeah. he doesn't even call it a hotel. It's a home. I was going to go, I think we'll go there in New York 
uh, for some $400 caviar and the $1,800 <laughs> bottle of champagne. You're, you're buying. We're having a yeah, good sponsor I, for that. I, I think we got to hit up our sponsor for that. But uh, <laughs> what, what are you thinking about? Uh, I mean, Gary, you know, he's, he's got a pretty good handle on things. Well, what do you think? Well, he, he's never shy. But uh, <laughs> I think the home category is in recession. I don't, you know, yeah, we can get into yeah. a big sort of a semantics argument. I don't, I don't think with the kind of employment picture we have, you can argue that we're overall we're in a recession. But if you look at what's going on in the in the home category, RH, which has been one of the top performers in retail for like five years, had a pretty rough quarter uh, and and guided down. So I think everybody who was going to buy a sofa and a Peloton and a big screen TV seems probably to have done it, it in the last yeah, year. Probably bought it. Yeah. Yeah, probably bought ahead, as, as we've often say. Let's turn our minds to the future. So uh, some forecasts coming out. Uh, I see everybody from Salesforce, Deloitte, and Bain. Let's talk about the Deloitte numbers. Uh, what did you learn from reading their report? Well, most of the uh, the forecasts are are pretty optimistic. But again, you know, it's just it's hard to make sense of these numbers when so much of the sales increase apparently is going to be inflation, right? So it's hard to put these in the context of numbers that I'm familiar with because really we haven't had inflation above 3% for like what 40 years or something. Yeah. So yeah. Generation. So they you know they look positive from a dollar value basis. I think if you want to try to work inflation into it you're looking at probably flat or slightly down units. Uh but again, you know that will vary a lot I think by by category. So uh I just find it's very hard to interpret these numbers in aggregate and really make much sense out of them. From a percentage perspective, they're saying a bit of it feels like a bit of bounce back for e-commerce sales will grow by um, twelve point eight to fourteen three point. Or sorry, will grow by twelve point eight to fourteen point three percent. What do you think of that idea? Do you think there's a bounce back happening with uh, with e-commerce, or is this an organic growth resuming its natural course? Um, I I think overall, you know, my impression is we're pretty much back on the trend line. You know, we had this this bit of an acceleration in the early part of COVID. And then things kind of settled down. So these numbers are comparing to more muted numbers. But I think, you know, I haven't looked at it in a ton of depth and certainly it varies by category. But I think the broader picture continues to be we're kind of back on that on that long-term trend line of e-commerce growing in the 12 to 15% range. So that feels right to me in aggregate. All right. So another news, the big news, uh, and you think I think you nailed it. Easy come, easy go. The uh, the gap and easy have uh, have broken up. And he had, you know, some perspectives to share about that. No, I'm saying and they have one individual on the planet that could save the gap. <laughs> Is that you? <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was me, but apparently, <laughs> apparently the uh, I haven't gotten any calls. But yeah, the uh, much vaunted, hyped uh, partnership. With uh, the artist formerly known as Kanye West has has uh, fallen apart, so he's going to be moving on to open some own some of his own stores. So, well, he had uh, I, I watched, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to the article. He, he made a surprise appearance on CNBC, and uh, he actually had pretty. He was very cogent. I mean, he was very uh, you know he's very serious in his, in his explanation. So it was, it's worth listening to. Uh, we don't know anything about behind the scenes, but uh, whatever it was is no more. Let's. Go visit the wobbly unicorn segment. Of well, I feel like this is this might become a regular segment here for us. But uh, I mean, the big news, pretty sad news, out of Rent the Runway was, uh, as I wrote in my newsletter, uh, wobbly unicorn stumbled off the runway. <laughs> uh, they had very disappointing earnings, yeah. large sales increase, but 
huge losses, and they are laying off about a quarter of their staff. The stock's down like 80%, 82%, something like that year mm-hmm. over year. So continuing yet, you know, yet another one of these companies that is kind of hitting the wall in terms of uh, being able to deliver some profits. A couple other quick stories I was going to mention, which I think speak to broader trends. One is that um, Misfits and Imperfect Foods merged. Uh, it's not clear kind of what the profit perspective is there, but I think this is going to be part of a trend we're going to see to consolidation, not necessarily two of these DTC companies merging, but I think you know acquisitions or whatever, mm-hmm. because some of these companies just don't have the ability to get where they need to get to without some partnerships or other ways to get access to capital. And then there was a story that I found a little bit peculiar, but basically uh, that many of these new DTC brands are now turning to Walmart as a partner. Um, I don't know that we've seen that on such a huge scale, but we've certainly seen some of these companies, um, as we've talked about with Simeon Siegel and others on prior episodes, you know, now looking towards wholesale relationships as one of the ways to more cost-effectively build distribution. So brands that are at Target, brands that are at Nordstrom, now apparently Walmart, which was not seen as perhaps cool enough to be Mm -hmm. a good partner, is being considered possibly to be one, Um, which I think probably says more about uh, where these brands are in terms of their choices as opposed to necessarily a a strategy that Walmart is fundamentally changing. Let's end up with uh, some inspiring news. Uh, Patagonia's announcement that uh, Yvonne Chouard, uh, the billionaire founder, is basically giving the his and his son's company away. He's putting it into a trust. Uh, it, it just made me think about uh, our conversation with Seth Godin. What, what were your thoughts when you, uh, when you read the news? I think this is very exciting. I mean, there's some cynical takes on, on how he's trying to avoid taxes or something like that. But I think you know the idea is here's a, a great brand, I think a billion and a half or something a year in sales, $100 million in profit being put so that the profits can go directly to support action against uh, climate change, as well as uh, I guess there's some other tax benefits for him to be able to to do some different things or him and the uh, the trust to be able to mm-hmm. do some different things. So, you know, I'd love to see more leadership. You know, a lot of people talk about sustainability and, you know, carbon offsets and all these Plant kinds and of trees, things. trees, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which are, you know, often more greenwashing than than substantive this uh this is a pretty big move you know it's a it's a drop in the ocean so to speak in terms of what's necessary but uh, i think it's an important uh step and hopefully uh maybe it starts a trend for some uh, some of these billionaires to do a bit more than uh fly around on their private jets and shoot themselves into space well uh let's leave it there on that note uh and before we get into our first edition of retail fight club let's hear from our presenting sponsor MarketDial's easy-to-use testing platform emboldens great decisions, leading to reliable, scalable results. With MarketDial, you can be confident in the outcome of your in-store pilot initiatives before rolling them out across your fleet. In a challenging retail climate of supply chain disruption, labor shortages, and dynamic customer behavior, the need for reliable insights has never been greater. Validate your remarkable ideas with MarketDial's in-store testing solution. The proof is in the testing. Learn more at MarketDial.com. That's MarketDial.com. All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Retail Fight Club. Now, from time to time, we will be inviting industry thought leaders on to debate contentious issues in retail. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is... Wow, nice. You do not...
Okay, so the first rule of this Fight Club is tell everybody, because we want everybody to know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on this episode, uh, we want to take on the issue of whether Kohl's, which is the largest department store in the United States, can mount a turnaround. Lots of news about Kohl's. You don't have to look very far to find out any news. Steve's a doubter. He's the skeptic or the pessimist. Uh, But our guest holds out hope. And speaking of our guests, we're welcoming back Ethan Chernofsky, Vice President of Marketing at Placer AI. How are you this morning, Ethan? I mean, I'm doing great. If we're doing Fight Club, though, does this mean I get to pretend I look like Brad Pitt? One of us does. (laughs) One of us does. (laughs) Um, And you are coming to us live from Tel Aviv, right? Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, before we dive into our bait, not your first time on the podcast, Ethan, but uh, for those who may have missed it or may not know enough about you or have heard of you but don't know enough as they need to, tell us a bit about yourself and who you are and, and what you do and what Placer AI is all about. Sure. So I have, uh, I've been spending kind of my career in, in high-tech marketing, uh, specifically working with startups. And for the last nearly four years, I've been working at Placer. We're a location data company. So people vote with their feet. We're showing you how they vote across the U.S. every single day. And we bring a whole range of different insights and analysis based on that data. Let's set up today's Fight Club. Cole's been in the news quite a bit uh, lately, more than, and by the way, for those, just to anchor everybody, not everyone might be uh, from the United States listening, 1,100 U.S. stores, 19 billion with a B in annual sales, largest department store chain in the United States, but they're struggling to find a path. So, you know, recent reports, uh, dour outlook, bloated inventories, uh, they kind of left at the altar a little bit most recently, trying to sell themselves to franchise group of all people. On the positive, they did a great partnership with Sephora, and apparently it's generated uh, a million new customers, a million new customers. That's hard to get when you're a big dep- already a big department store who are younger, diverse, shop more frequently. And of course, they got their Amazon partnership with Dry's Footfall, which is not easy to come by for anyone. All right, so let's start getting into this. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? <laughs> Let's start with Steve. Wow. You don't um, believe I wasn't. They, are likely to, <laughs> they are likely to transform. Fire away. Well, I, you know, I guess I come at this and some people may think that I've got a little bit of an ax to grind because way back when, when I was at Sears, uh, particularly the late 90s, early 2000s, Kohl's was one of the brands that was really stealing market share from us. But it it is not about revenge. I think it is about just the reality of what's going on in retail and has been going on in retail really since probably, you know, late, late nineties, early two thousands, which is that this, this middle ground where most of the moderate department stores are, whether we're talking about on the mall, like Macy's and JC Penney, or we're talking about off the mall, which is Kohl's, that whole sector has been losing market share for more than 20 years. Now, Kohl's, as I mentioned, was doing a little bit better kind of in the early days, but really for quite some time, they've kind of tread water. And if you look at the statistics, now they've got, well, she's not so new anymore, but uh, Michelle Cass, Gas, who came in, has uh, launched a lot of these initiatives, most of which you've mentioned, and none of them really seem to be gaining any traction. But first, I'll just say big picture, what is the argument fundamentally that says that this vast middle ground, which has been losing share, as I said, for you know really 20 plus years, is going to turn around just as a category 
And within that, what really suggests that Kohl's is going to gain significant market share? I, I can't see anything that's really compelling. Not that they can't improve some things and not that they haven't improved some things, but what they would have to do to really change the, the fundamental trajectory of retail, I think is so significant. And they haven't laid out anything that I think will move the dial. And if you look at the facts, since they've put some of these initiatives into place, they've gone precisely nowhere. Their sales in 2019 were um, about $20 billion. I think you mentioned that. Uh, they have lost ground in the last few years, despite having Sephora open, despite having Amazon open, despite several of their competitors closing hundreds of stores. So if these initiatives were really working, if they were gaining share from their competitors, their sales would be up a lot. And they haven't gone up at all. In fact, on an inflation-adjusted basis, they've gone backwards. And, you know, we could argue a little bit about what's going on kind of in the short term, but certainly their earnings are going in the other direction as well. They're about half of what they were three years ago. Well, Ethan, that's a flurry of blows coming from uh, Steve. Now, you are the master of understanding traffic patterns, movements, and I think you've got a different perspective. What's your argument or perspective or more optimistic scenario with Kohl's and department stores? I think so. It actually begins with a, a fundamental difference in opinion on this idea of the contraction of the middle. And I think the perspective that when you start from 20 years ago, I think there's there's almost no question that, that this idea is right. But when you look in a more short-term perspective of this bifurcation of retail phenomenon that's pushed things either towards luxury or towards high value, I think we're seeing a start a change because the opportunity exists in the middle. So when we think about the luxury lane, we see how much competition is there is. We, we can rattle off brand after brand that we know dominates within that space. And the same is true in value. But it's actually the middle where there's the most interesting things happening because it's the most underserved because of the level of complexity mm -hmm. in serving that market. Because mm -hmm. what defines the middle is not you know, imagine a $20 product versus a $5 product. The middle is not about making sure everything is kind of halfway in between those two. It's about understanding where people are willing to spend more and understanding where they're looking to save. And that's why I think you're seeing moves, whether it's, you know, the Walmarts of the world trying to kind of upmarket, whether you look at the big lots or Dollar Generals looking at these upmarket concepts, it's because there's exciting opportunity in the middle. But when we look at Kohl's more specifically, the addition there is some of the things that they've been doing. So is, has Sephora changed everything for Kohl's? No. Is it a very strong step in the right direction? Absolutely. And especially when we think about when this took place. So if we had seen Kohl's in, an, in a quote-unquote normal environment, so imagining that the pandemic doesn't hit, which clearly you know it did and it has a huge effect, that 19... That decline in revenue compared to 19 is significant because Kohl's really struggled within the pandemic. And by the way, so did other quote unquote middle oriented retailers, though I think that's going to bounce back as the impact of the pandemic begins to dissipate as we see a decline in some of these economic headwinds. And then all of a sudden that Sephora concept has a real power. And already we see that locations with a Sephora in it outperform really significantly in terms of both foot traffic. We've heard the company talk about revenue, but then there's these other ideas that are on top of it. So if it was just Sephora, I mean, it's a nice move, but it's probably not enough. But then we think of Discover at Kohl's, which is a step by Kohl's to see how do we turn over 
ideas faster? How do we bring new concepts into locations to understand what's going to resonate with our audience and what's going to resonate with younger audiences? And that's another kind of adjacent move to what we're seeing with Sephora of Kohl's attempting to find its next wave. And this is important in and of itself because we saw this with Macy's and others, brands that are willing to test, brands that are willing to innovate and push the agenda are going to land on ideas that work, even if there is a rocky first kind of steps into that play. And now we also think about the fact that heading into the pandemic, so July 2019 through February 2020, Kohl's was seeing growth in visits consistently every single month. Since the pandemic, that's been wiped away and they haven't returned to year over year or year over three year growth. But when we take into account that kind of pandemic challenge, it gives us reason to wonder whether this post-pandemic environment will be much friendlier. I also think we're, we have to remember that suburban footprint power that right now, are they taking full advantage? No. But in terms of their positioning in the long term, when we know that these really interesting audiences, younger audiences have been moving into the suburbs, their positioning is really powerful when you think about their attempts to get younger, their attempts to bring urban-oriented brands like Sephora, which is usually kind of city centers, malls into these suburban locations, this is a really powerful way to try and kind of take away this negative trend that they've been, they have been facing. Is Kohl's a guaranteed success story in the next year? No. If they continue to push forward with ideas that bring in younger audiences, that evolve their brand forward, I think they ha- they do have a really good chance to recover. Well, Steve, Ethan's putting some judo moves on you there. He's, <laughs> he's taking the, the strength of your you know, weakness in the middle and he's converting it to a strength. In other words, if I get the essence there and I'd love to hear your opinion, he basically said everybody left the middle, leaving it open for growth. What do you think? What do you make of that? And, and the idea that, you know, this strength in the burbs is pretty important. In addition, as people work from home, they're shopping where they live. Well, several things. One is, and, and this may be a little bit of a definitional issue, the middle ground in terms of price points is still valid. The middle ground in terms of market positioning is going to continue, I'll I'll go out on a limb, is going to contract. And the reason is that not that these brands, whether we're talking about Kohl's or others, aren't getting better. But the problem is, particularly if you're in a market which is pretty flat, customers don't shift their preferences for a slightly better version of mediocre or incremental improvement. And the challenge for Kohl's and Macy's is there's lots of other competition, either with a stronger value proposition in terms of pricing or more convenience. Keep in mind, most of the department stores you know, outside of e-commerce are competing, have lost most of their market share to brands like TJ Maxx and other value players who have 10 locations in a trade area for every Kohl's. Similarly with Sephora, not only are there lots of locations where you can buy beauty, but they're going up against stealing the Ulta customer. Mm-hmm. So it's not that these aren't, and I, and I certainly agree that Kohl's is trying a lot of things. And if I work there, those are probably the sort of things I would try. But I think they're going to be very incremental because they're not powerful enough to steal meaningful market share. And for the Kohl's model to work economically, they're going to have to start growing at like you know 10 to 15% per year. You know, once we get past this, you know, if we're in a recession or whatever. So it's not that these aren't decent ideas. It's just they're not powerful enough to steal customers away from so many amazing competitors. 
And a lot of what they're doing in terms of like casual apparel and all these things, they're perfectly fine idea, uh, perfectly fine ideas. But there are so many other places to get essentially the same product at a little bit lower price or in a more convenient location or convenient in terms of, you know, access, but also convenient in terms of you're already going to Target to buy your groceries or other things. I'll pick up some of these other items as well. Well, that's a bit of a suplex move. He's flipped you, Ethan. He's taken that argument. You're flipped. You're down. It's tough to argue against numbers, but you see bigger, broader numbers. So bring us home. Tell us your final, you know, where you sit on being positive about this and your last swing. So I think when, when I think and I, I look back at, you know, in, in the in the, you know, air of loving judo, you know, let's steal Steve's key terminology. Like I love I think a lot about what is remarkable retail. Like what is it that makes it kind of noteworthy and special? And I think when we look at brands that provide something that make it worth the visit, and I think in it we have a tendency to overemphasize convenience and even slightly to overemphasize value. It's it's about this combination of factors. And what Kohl's has is a very strong brand. And if we go and we ask every retailer on planet Earth who has is trying to kind of grow right now, there is about 20 of them that would have a better brand awareness factor than Kohl's. And so this idea that you have this awareness and this pull, then you have this willingness to move into ideas like the Sephora's if you are aggressive enough to launch more of them, if you're actually capable of bringing in younger, more kind of edgier operations in this Discover at Kohl's concept, you have a real fighting chance to create something that is a bridge that the, even though I love off-price, that the off-pricers can't compete with because you can start bringing in brands that are ahead of the curve. And it's not just about value. It's not just about the treasure hunt. It's because maybe you have something that others don't have. The other piece here is, if we see digitally natives look to be to temper their desire to own locations and maybe look towards wholesale a little bit more with you know mutual friends like Simeon Siegel have been suggesting for a while, that's an opportunity for Kohl's to come in and snatch up this 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 market and say, hey, you want to come speak to this new suburban audience that's a little bit younger than it used to be that has a little bit more you know uh income to spend because they they're spending a little bit less on rent they have more room to fill up in this house as opposed to the apartment they have come and reach them here i think there's a really powerful argument there are clearly challenges that Coles is going to face and they're going to need to move faster and even more aggressively than they have but I think these steps indicate something really strong, some really strong movement in the right direction. If they can continue to build upon that, they have more than a fighting chance. Uh, I, I get like points the for the fighting, right? Like I that. know. I, I was going right to. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're ding, ding. points for that. That's twice you used that. I was going to comment on that. Good use of language. You get bonus points for that. Listen. <laughs> this is the inaugural version of the Retail Fight Club and is in the movie. Everybody's a winner because it's a great swing. Uh, and the audience and the listeners are the big winners listening to two great perspectives. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Ethan, for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in the market beyond the department stores. How are people moving around? We touched on a few of these things. You both did. You know, are people moving to the burbs? Are the, are the downtown stores kind of really, you know, really struggling to get footfall because it's not people going into work? What are you seeing? So I'll tell you, I'll talk to you about two things that we're really excited by. One is very much in the moment and a more short-term thing. And the other is, is a big long-term one. So on the short-term side, one of the interesting things we saw 
in about late July was a turning point where year-over-year visits, which had been declining and increasingly declining week-over-week compared to 21 in discretionary categories, I think electronics, home improvement, uh, clothing, apparel, that was starting to trickle back towards through the middle of August and even into the late August and early September. So we do feel like we're currently seeing a turning point, at least in the short term, for consumer demand, for comfort levels with the current economic environment. And because the comp to September is going to be a little friendlier, we expect that to continue through this through the month. The big question is going to come in October when you had this really strong month in 21 in that pre-holiday kind of push for sales. And there will be a strong question to ask, you know, heading into that period. But then we should be in another friendlier environment, especially when you think brick and mortar, because November and December of 21, we're already starting to feel the impact of Omicron. And so there is this opportunity in the brick and mortar environment to have a much stronger 22 holiday season than they did a year ago. The second thing we're looking at, and we are, this is a, this is a topic that we've been investigating for for years now and getting increasingly excited about is the idea of the retail media network. And it's basically, if you look at Albertsons, Walmart, Dollar General, many others saying our store is more than just about sales per square foot. It is a marketing platform. It's an advertising platform. It's an advertising platform where the consumer has a tremendous amount of intent because they're already in the location where they're spending. And so if I can deliver them the right experience, the right ad, the right the right element within that shopping experience, can I drive that excitement really close to the point of purchase? But even more exciting is this ability to say, I want to reach markets in a different way. So I don't want to just think in terms of a CBSA or a DMA. I want to think in terms of a retail experience. So a dollar general within a town that has less than 100,000 people, that's my market. Or an area that's over-indexed for millennials, or an area that has you know, a certain type of population where I can reach on a certain kind of holiday or event to bring them better products. So this idea of recognizing the advertising marketing power of the retail locations is something that we've been looking at a lot. We saw some really interesting data, you know, Walmart, Target, many others. Their unique visits offline are much larger than what they're getting online. And so that recognition is going to drive a huge push to add new revenue streams, bring more power to CPG companies in the way they reach audiences. And it's something we're really excited about. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Ethan, on this inaugural Fight Club. You know, I'm sorry you had such a weak case to have to argue, but, you know, <laughs> it's our podcast. We get to decide these things and we get to set people up. But no, seriously, you did you did a great job. Always yeah. great perspective. Uh, and you, you have the uh, advantage working at Placer of actually having some data, whereas I just mostly make stuff up. So that's, that's a bit of an unfair advantage, I suppose. But thanks for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you out in the world uh, sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, always weird to have to fight your friends, but it, is, it was a joy nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being a good sport about it, both of you. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch up with all our great interviews, like our discussion with Seth Godin on what retailers can actually do to fight climate change. New episodes of Season 5, presented by Marketal, will show up each and every week. And be sure and tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking 
at stephenpdennis.com. And I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer retail growth consultant, keynote speaker, and producer and host of a series of retail trade podcasts, including this one, plus the host of the popular YouTube cooking show, Last Request Barbecue. You can learn even more about me on LinkedIn or meleblanc.co. Safe travels, everyone. <laughs>